0: Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor. This podcast is powered by Christianity Today. Jr., it's good to see you today, buddy. You as well, Doug. We are really looking forward to this conversation today. Yes, we are. Why don't you tell us, just just cue us up just a little bit.
1: Well, you know that on this podcast, we absolutely love Eugene Peterson. We've talked about him multiple times. And it's hard to believe that Eugene uh, passed away two and a half years ago. It feels like that. uh, It wasn't that long ago. But our friend, uh, Wynn Collier, you're going to hear from him in just a moment, um, uh, about his experience that he's had learning about researching and writing about the life of Eugene Peterson. So uh, any opportunity for us to talk about Eugene Peterson is a great opportunity here on the podcast and, uh, really looking forward to this. Doug, I know you were looking forward to this conversation as
0: well. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, (laughs) I feel giddy, especially knowing it's it's Holy Week. Uh, a lot of pastors are just really busy right now. And so we, we hear that. We're praying. Yeah, we just pray that the Lord shows up in, in powerful ways as Lent comes to an end and we enter into Eastertide. Um, but yeah, we just pray that this is an opportunity for you on a walk or as you have an opportunity just to sit and reflect on, on one of the most important pastoral voices uh, of, of the last hundred years. And so may God meet you where you are. So we're just pumped that we get a chance to have this conversation and we all get to listen in.
1: Dr. Wynn Collier serves as the director of the Eugene Peterson Center and associate professor of Pastoral Theology and Christian Imagination at Western Seminary in Holland, Michigan. Before that, he served as pastor for over 25 years and was the founding pastor of All Souls Church in my hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia, where he earned a PhD from the University of Virginia. Go Hoos. His PhD work centers on the sacramental theology of a man who was mightily revered, Wendell Berry. He also serves as the founding director of the Genesis Project, a community providing circles of friendship and contemplation for pastors and writers. He's authored five books in the areas of theology, creative nonfiction, fiction, and biography. And he's also the official biographer of Eugene Peterson. The biography was just released this week and it is titled, A Burning in My Bones, The Authorized Biography of Eugene H. Peterson. He's also written for Christianity Today, Christian Century, Washington Post, and, and numerous other outlets. Wynne and his wife, Misca, who is a spiritual director, has two sons, and lives in Holland, Michigan. Enjoy this conversation with our friend Wynne Collier about the new biography of Eugene Peters. Wynn it's good to have you on the podcast. It's good to see you again.
2: Yeah, it's been too long. It has been too long.
1: Oh, it's great to have you on. And it's not every day that someone becomes the official biographer of Eugene Peterson. And uh, as I think about you, and I've known you for what, 12 years or so, you're a pastor, you're a writer. Now you're an academic there at Western. This sounds a great deal like Eugene, a pastor, a writer, an academic. So I'm curious, I wonder if you could just tell us how did that come about of you becoming the official biographer of
2: Eugene? Well, in 1999, I was a bivocational pastor at a small, struggling church in Denver. And after church one Sunday, one of the elders of the church came up to me and handed me a copy of Eugene's Working the Angles, the Shape of Pastoral Integrity. And he said, When I think you'll like this. And I realized uh, later what he meant was, When I think you need this. <laughs> and, and um I I definitely was in a, a place where I was disillusioned and really struggling with what does it mean to be a pastor? Where am I in this world? I it it doesn't make sense to me. Um I don't have I don't have words to describe this ache inside me. This can't be this can't be what it is, you know. And I got home and I was probably only a couple paragraphs in i was gonna do a little reading before uh snoozing on a sunday afternoon nap and and it just pierced me and it gave me it just like it it i mean you know those occasions when you just feel like you're prepared for something your your heart is tender soil and it just um something opened up inside me and i feel like eugene gave me a language for something that I didn't know how to describe.
3: Mm.
2: And so I began to read him. And then a couple years later, uh, my first book was published by um, one of his publishers and the editor gave me his um, address. And I think this is where your story and my story kind of coincide, uh, mm. started writing him letters. And I probably thought I was really unique. You know, like I was writing letters to Eugene, and he was writing me back, not realizing <clears throat> you know that twenty years later I would have literally thousands of those letters in my basement, <laughs> like <laughs> but even that is like something that um that you know you when you're with Eugene or engaging Eugene um you you were the person with him, and you never felt like you were getting used or he was had something else on his mind. He was just himself present with you. And so I wrote him those letters and he became a pastor to me. In twenty sixteen I was in Montana for a pastoral retreat and I assumed it would be the last time I would see Eugene. And I um flying back, I remember thinking about how someone would write his story one day. And I don't know that I was necessarily thinking Oh, when you, you need to do this. But I, I was more just thinking about how, what I hoped would happen with his story and what I hoped wouldn't happen with his story. Mm. I mean, y'all, you know, both of y'all uh, have, have had the experience of reading a really good biography. You felt like it, it allowed you into that person's world mm. as opposed to just giving you facts about the person. And you've probably like me also read really bad biographies that you're like halfway through and you're like, Oh my gosh. Um, can you give me some humanity here? <clears throat> and um, so I was talking to one of my best friends who is an editor and um, he said, you should tell Eugene this. And I thought, and you know, you'll chuckle at this, JR, because you know, it's true. Uh, I thought I'm not going to talk to Eugene about a biography. Like it's, <laughs> it's the last thing in the world he gives a rip about is somebody. <laughs> so <a> true. <laughs> uh, but, but my friend said, and he knew Eugene too. And he's like, you know what? You're right. But I think, you would be um, you'd be sad if you never told him what you're thinking. And I was like, I think that's true. So I wrote him this letter. A week or two later, he called me up, and um, in his raspy voice, he said, uh, "You know, let's talk about this letter." So I basically just rehashed it with him, and and then I said, um, "Eugene, when you hear me talking like this, does it make you energized or does it make you tired?" And he didn't skip a beat. He just goes, when makes me tired, (laughs) Um, which is what I would have thought. And, uh, but for some reason, which I don't understand, we kept talking. And about 10 minutes later, he said, when I'm energized now, um, Mm. he ended up saying, I think you're supposed to do this. And I think I need to help you do this. And we never actually really talked about what, what that was. I, I don't think, it was never the allure of having a biography written about him. That's for sure. But I think there was maybe, maybe something he encountered in me that, that, that he felt like, okay, um, there's some energy there that needs to be tended to or something. Um, maybe it was his last act of past he was, mm. was biting me into this kind of work. I don't know. Mm, mm. What a
1: beautiful story. And, and when you've always been so good with words, so I'm, I'm not sure it was a huge uh, decision. Um, of Eugene asking, you know, or, or thinking about that because uh, you're you're very good and you're very pastoral as well. And so that makes a, a ton of sense. So you, you did years of research on Eugene's papers and letters and all these correspondence and most of our listeners, but maybe not all of them are familiar with Eugene. And for those who may not be familiar with Eugene's life, I'm curious, what are some of the major overarching themes of Eugene's life that would make Eugene Eugene, from your perspective, things you knew before the research and even more so now that you've researched his life so extensively?
2: Um, I love the way you asked that question because a couple times for the end of his life, he would be asked what he was most grateful for. And he had different things he would say, but one of the things that struck me was he would say, I'm just so glad I got to be Eugene. And
3: that
2: might seem like such a simple thing to say, but I think that's, that's something that someone can say who is really comfortable in their skin, someone who's let go a lot of the ego and the pretense that many of us strive so much for. I think um, what made Eugene, Eugene was all kinds of things. The most basic is, um, is God, you know, I mean, he's a pastor, so he's supposed to be about God, but in deeply profound ways, um, Eugene lived a life that was, that was pointed toward God. Mm. He, was, he craved God. He wanted to know God. Um, the prayer that he would pray in his journal that um, took me up short every time I, I read it. And I felt tears the first time I read it. I was not really prepared for it. It was um, this line where he would say, God, make me a saint and it's the kind of thing you you wouldn't want to read really anywhere else than someone's private words to God. Hmm. And it's something that I think a lot of people might hear and misunderstand because for for Eugene Saint wasn't some you know, almost extraterrestrial Christian uh, um it was it was someone who was becoming more and more human as they were illumined more and more by the love of Christ and hmm. so I think he deeply wanted to know and love and be loved by god, and he mm. he um had massive convictions that were so counter to so much of our energy these days um, in the world at large in the Christian world about um, about paying attention to the person in front of you about don't don't have something to say to the world until you live in your neighborhood well mm. the idea that. Everything that's spiritual is to be lived. theology starts with geography, you know um, you have to you have to be where you are and <clears throat> this sense of ordinary mm. ordinariness I, I love how you know when you read Eugene, you get this sense that he just has these you're really paying attention these like powerful visions of how we're to live in the world, how we're to be in the world that are so common and ordinary, but it's striking then and stunning in a way how revolutionary they sound because there's n- there's very little to them that sounds original, mm. which is why I even started with saying God. And, you know, it's a little, um, I don't know, a little chagrined when you say that because it's what's expected. It's, it sounds so simple, but um, I'm not sure that we know God the way Eugene did. And so, um, but all of these things are 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 done in a way that lack any sense of idolism. Idolism, like he didn't he didn't live with this this sense of like some perfect church um, that you know we're somehow going to go and recreate the New Testament or that I mean he was the most um, plain spoken. Um, it's it's going to be a mixture of good and bad always. Our motives are going to be mixed. Our fruit's going to be mixed. Um and focusing on that too much actually distracts us from from God and the mm. action of the Holy Spirit. And so we can actually relax mm. <laughs> and we mm. can be human and we can trust God and we can worship and pray because um all of life is exploding with wonder. And mm. so um
0: relax. Mm. Mm.
3: Mm.
0: That's really powerful when I <clears throat> I really get the sense that uh, even I think my first time ever reading Eugene was this guy seems like he's super smart, but I could hang out with him like he would be willing to like sit down and just enjoy a conversation. Um, Yeah. So as you were writing, what surprised you about his life?
2: You know, I'm honestly not sure I would say anything surprised me um, because and and I'm going to say I think I'm glad nothing surprised me. Because um, there was some trepidation, particularly going into his journals, where I thought, you know, all of us have had the encounter of, of someone we loved and trusted or admired, maybe from a distance, I don't know. And then you find out um they're not who they said they were. And um obviously we're we're run over these days with um public leaders who lived Um, very different private lives and um i can tell you i read things i don't think eugene ever imagined another human would read and and he was very honest and he was far from perfect and that's um you know in the story i i think it's really important that we go into some places where he was flawed um but he was exactly who we thought he was um and and who we thought he was, as long as we didn't think he was perfect, right? That he was, he was a human man who desperately loved God, loved this world, loved all that God was making of this world and was trying to be as faithful as he knew how to be. Um, and was far more comfortable than most of us are with our failing.
3: Mm. That
2: was one of the things, maybe if there was something that, that I could get close to surprising, I was, reminded over and over again how different he responded to his own failures than I do. I'm really tempted to cannibalize myself or to, which is, you know, in the long run, if you think about it, it's really about the ego. Um, but because his ego was dying a slow death by the love of Christ, um, he just didn't have a lot of, like, he could take criticism better than most of us. Um, he could handle his failures and struggles in his marriage or with his kids without annihilating himself like most of us do Mm. and um, that was really beautiful
3: Mm.
2: so an imperfect person but um the love and the integrity of his heart was true Mm. 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 in fact one of his other prayers that i loved was was when he would pray god make me the man that people think i am Uh-huh. And I think that was a genuine prayer for him, because he struggled with that, because he so hated celebrity culture.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He worried that perceptions would not be reality. Um, but I think as I closed the final page of his last journal, if I'd been able to, he was he was gone then I, I could have looked at him and said, "God answered your prayer.", mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you, you were that person.:
1: What a statement, What a statement. You've shared a couple of these stories You kind of peppered him in, but is there a favorite story or one of your favorites, maybe something that most of the world doesn't know that uh, you just said, man, that's who he is. It could be a situation, a conversation, um, but w- you have a favorite story. It could be even something you didn't read, but something <laughs> you did with him or talked about with him in his presence.
2: You know, um, I'm glad you didn't tell me ahead of time you're going to ask this question because that... I, I, uh, I probably would have come up with a different story. There's a lot, but the one that just first popped into my mind, and I don't know if this is nearly as um, interesting or or rich as you would hope for on your podcast. But it just, I just love the story, um, and it did get cut out of the book. So, um, so there, the family had an annual pilgrimage, as you remember, to back to Montana, and it just became. Um, a rich part of their family life. In fact, you know, all their kids have now moved back West. Um, two of them live in Montana. Uh, Eric lives in Washington state, but might as well live in Montana because he's back so often. And I, it just, it just speaks to how, you know, this was not a vacation spot for them. It was, it was woven into their heart and life. And so every summer, you know, they would travel and most of the summers they would, they would, they would drive and they had an old, uh, uh an old van that they kind of tricked out for long trips and, you know, thrown a mattress in the back. And it was on one of these trips when, uh, Eugene asked Eric and they would go up. Sometimes they would take the, the, the Northern route and go the the, the Canadian highway. And, um, and I, I want to say Eugene was, I mean, uh, Eric was 14 or 15. I don't believe he had his driver's license yet, which is part of what makes this a little funny. And Eric was like, hey, Eric, I mean, uh, Eugene was like, Eric, you want to drive? And so he he drives the van on this you know, yeah. massive stretch of, uh, of expanse. And um, at one point, uh, Eric's driving, Jan is in the other seat, and um, Eugene is in the bucket seat behind Jan and got his legs um, propped up, and he's reading. So he's just living the life, right? I mean, his son is driving, they're going through Canada. Um, and he is in the world. He loves his books and he'd been reading for a couple hours. And, uh, Jan and Eric had been talking and finally, you know, Jan wants to pull Eric, I mean, uh, Eugene back into the, the family conversation. And she just goes, Hey, Eugene, why don't you read out a little bit uh, what you're reading? And, um, and you'll have to, have to also know that that was part of their family. I mean, uh, Eugene and, and Jan read to each other every night and that sort of thing. So this is a normal thing to read out loud. So, so Jan calls out, um, hey, Eugene, why don't you start reading to us what you've been reading? And without skipping a beat, he picks up right where he was reading. And he was um, reading the Greek New Testament. <laughs> and, he, and he starts reading out to them in Greek exactly where he was and and i think you know dan throws something at him and tells him to go back to you know and there's a, something about that story i mean it's just it's just so perfect like the fact that what he chose to read on this massive you know uh cross-country trek was the greek new testament <laughs> and um i can just you know you can just imagine the little smile and um that he got when he got that question and how much he loved uh Throwing throwing some coin Greek at them, and, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I just I love that story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's powerful. I love that story too. That's amazing. Um, so it's so interesting because my my senses and and I'm sure you recognize this too. Um, but why do you sense Eugene is becoming even more and more significant, more read and more appreciated? Um, than when he first wrote these books decades ago.
2: I mean, I, I think some people would ask the question, has the moment passed for Eugene? Like, was he speaking to such a cultural time that uh, that it's not as uh, pregnant as it as it was? But I think what you're saying is exactly the truth of it. And I think in some ways he was actually ahead of his time. I think some of the things he identified were ac- acutely... On the horizon like they were happening we were swimming in them but i think it was just the front edge and i think we're now um overwhelmed by it Mm. um i think of it in a couple different directions i think of his his spiritual theology those five volumes he wrote for the end of his life um he saw them as kind of the the bringing together of his his theological thinking in as concise a way as he could for the church. Um, And I honestly don't think that those, those five books have detonated. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think we've really heard, heard them very well. Um, You know, if you want to talk about a deeply sacramental theology, which is what more of us are talking about. um, I'm not sure you could find a better introduction than Christ plays in 10,000 places. And Mm -hmm. if you want to start thinking about what does it mean for the church to grapple with how we've been seduced by the the powers of our age, um, be it political, be it religious, um, how do we grapple with the ways we have abused power? You're not going to find a more biblical exploration of that than the Jesus way. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, if you're going to start thinking about what does it mean to actually... Love Scripture and read Scripture in a way that is not just reacting to a bad evangelical reading, but is doing something deeper. Like how how do we how do we hear the ancient voice of Christian tradition, and how do we hear it in a language that that resonates with the way we are able to articulate our own questions? Um, you're not going to get a much better introduction to that than eat this book. And when it comes on the pastoral scene we are not better off than we were 25 years ago when he was writing these books. We're far worse off. I mean, that may not be exactly true. I mean, I, I do think there's a there's a growing number of pastors who are able to articulate what they're not. You know, we're not trying to build a behemoth and we're trying to be attached to our neighborhood, et cetera. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, just not being something isn't nearly good enough. Eugene, in some ways, I think, Caught the most attention for the things he was opposed to, but when you read him, he doesn't spend very much time talking about what he's opposed to. He actually wasn't that interested in it um, and when I think he would get so many questions around those things, it kind of befuddled him a little bit because that hmm. wasn't he wasn't an antagonist kind of person he was um he wanted to point to beauty and so I think that we're we're in desperate need of that and the third thing I would probably say is I think so many of us are just, um, we're, we're almost drowning. We don't know what to make of the world. Um, we know something is wrong and we we can't quite, we can't quite put our finger on where we're to go or what we're to do. And I think most of us are in a pickle because on one hand, we are sort of, we detest the the old models of the big celebrity leader who's got all the answers and is gonna show us the way. And we are so done with that. At the same time, because we're human and made in the image of God, we all crave wise elder guides. And that's different from a celebrity. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's people that we believe and know in our bones are trustworthy and are imperfect, but they're, they're trustworthy and they can be a voice to us. And so I think while, you know, Rome is burning, um, we're desperate for some voices and i think eugene is one of them Mm. and you know some of those voices in my life are people who are who were dead before i was born Mm. It's it's a short list but that's and i think eugene joins that canon
1: That's a really good framework win between guides and celebrities. So we obviously live in a culture that worships celebrities. Where do we go to regain that idea of guides? Because like you said, it's not not a very long list. So where do we go to find those people who are wise guides rather than a pull towards wanting just bigger, better, more influence, more platform, et cetera, et cetera, that's so... um, Ubiquitous, it seems
2: today. Well, we probably have to start with um, having some of our desires chastened. I think some of the reasons why we can't find the guides we think we're looking for is because we're looking for the wrong things. I imagine if Eugene were sitting here, he'd probably say, Well, you might want to look around for one of your neighbors, or you might want to see if there's an old deacon in your church who's really loved his family well and loved God for the last 60 years, he'd probably say, um, probably gonna have to find some in some books. You know, Alexander White was a Scottish pastor who was massively influential to Eugene. And he died, you know, a hundred years before Eugene was born. You know, he used to have the Tuesdays and Thursdays with Dostoevsky. And Dostoevsky became a pastor to him. You know, Eugene would say, you find help where you can find it. But I think the problem is most of us, you know, um me at the top of the list, like we we want to be known, we want to, our work to be noticed. Uh, we want to we want to have confidence that what I've done really matters. And you know there's some some good that's in that. We are to have impact, and we are to give ourselves away. but it's a really dehumanizing way to live, to try to constantly present ourselves and find answers that help us present ourselves. As someone who's accomplished, and I just I think the death of that uh, idol is a really hard death, and so most of us probably have to go there first, and then and then start to the look.
1: How have you personally and pastorally? How are you different because you know Eugene? You knew Eugene. I mean, how did he specifically impact how you live, or lead, or serve?
2: I think he gave me some confidence that. It really is okay to just be a pastor. It really matters. Um, I know this this podcast is you know Monday morning pastors, so I'm assuming there's a number of pastors here and listening, and I think it's just really important to say that more often than not, the truest pastors are the ones that will never know their name because they are the ones doing the work <laughs> they are showing up in the hospitals. They are getting food to those who need it. They are serving the sacraments. They are proclaiming the good news. They are loving their neighborhood. Um, and it is an abomination to me that that noble work is, is so often um, sidelined or treat it as if it's not that really at the center of things, because we have so warped the um the image of what it is to be a pastor in this world. And we are desperate for pastors. And um so Eugene said that to me by his life. Eugene told me that was okay. Eugene told me that, you know, and I could think of a specific conference I went to, and there was all this pressure to reframe all of our um they would call it reframing our discipleship model right um and there was immense pressure to follow this trend but to me it just spoke of babylon <laughs> you know it was like this is not this is not how i understand what it means to be a pastor and to walk with people in ways that you cannot frame and and judge and chart and um and I think knowing Eugene gave me confidence to know it's okay to follow that instinct and to be in some ways dismissed because all the energy was in the opposite direction. And, and I felt like I was probably missing something or I was stupid or I just didn't get it or I was foolish. And, um, you know, and, and I never talked to Eugene about that particular thing, but that's one example of a hundred of, I would have Eugene's presence in, in my, in my heart. And I would say, you know what? I know that there's one person in the world who I trust who would feel the same way.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: And even if we're wrong, we have to be true to what we understand. So I'm going to, I'm going to walk this way. Um, and, and I think the other thing is even though Eugene was one of the most disciplined people I know, um, He had a really expansive, open-handed way of how one encounters God um, in love and in prayer. And I think he gave me um, space to be okay with the messiness of my own disciplines, Mm. Um, even though I crave a lot that I don't actually practice that well. Um, And I just hear Eugene's voice saying, "Ah." is it God at work? How good is that? You know? Um, and that, that feels
0: freeing. When I think there's something, there's something that's so encouraging. To, just to hear you recount some of these things and even just talk about that, that pastoral presence that he has in your life of just encouragement. And I know for, for me and many other, you know, for m- many of us as pastors, this has just been like a difficult year where voices like Eugene's that are able to say something like that, man, isn't God at work? Uh, just, I mean, that feels like, uh, rain to really dry soil. Um, so yeah, just thank you for, for sharing that. Um, you know, and, and I'm thinking also about the pastors who may be listening, maybe they're younger or older, uh, and they haven't read much Eugene, or this might be, if they've listened to the Monday morning pastor, they haven't gotten far without hearing his name mentioned. Um, but if folks were to were to read the biography, which you penned, what book would you suggest that they should look into next that Eugene wrote?
3: You know, honestly, I, there isn't one. It would just depends on the person. So I would say. Um, gosh.
2: I would say if you're a pastor, um, I'm, I'm partial to working the angles, mainly because it was my introduction. I know different pastors really have different ones that speak the most of them. And I don't, you can't go wrong. I don't think, but for me, that was, that's been sort of my bellwether. Um, so I would say start there. Um, if you're, if you're part of this great company of friends that Eugene gathered over a lifetime of what I think of as curious, desiring to be faithful, but mostly befuddled Christians, um, I would maybe start with, uh, um, gosh, I mean, long obedience in the same direction, you know, is a beautiful orientation. You can't go, can't go wrong there. Maybe, uh, maybe reverse thunder. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. I'd almost say, hey, go, go to your favorite books bookseller and read a few of the, just read a few of the descriptions and see which one sparks your interest. Mm. And I'll say that because that's how Eugene would answer the question when people asked him, how do you how do you learn how to pray? Mm. Um, So he he thought that was the most important question maybe that a pastor could be asked is, how do I pray?
3: Mm.
2: And he would usually start with some kind of thing like, well, what do you love? And let's start there. So if you love to garden, do you love to run. If you love a good bourbon, you know, um, how do we start with what you love? And how do we make that prayer Mm -hmm. and how does that lead you into prayer? Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe I would just say, find a book that interests you and, and then
1: give it a go. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. One final question that we want to leave you before we end here. And it's this, you've, you've spent years investing in writing this book, trying to tell Eugene's story. When people are done reading your biography about his life, what do you hope people think or feel or do as a way of just responding to that book?
2: I think I hope that they that they feel like they met Eugene. One of the most important things anyone would say about Eugene um, was not at his funeral. They put it this way at his funeral. There were a number of uh, Regent students who he had taught. Who came to the funeral and they rented a house and stayed together for the weekend, inviting me to come over um one evening after the funeral, and there was carry out Chinese food and a couple bottles of scotch getting passed around and just sharing stories. And it was really beautiful. And I and I just sat and listened. And to a person, there were stories. Well, there there were no stories about the um books that he wrote the big conferences he spoke at there was no stories about the 20 i don't know now 26 something million copies of books i don't think anybody mentioned bono um what every one of them mentioned was what it was like to sit in a room with how they felt drawn into divine love by Eugene's human presence, what it was like to be enra- to be sort of drawn into his smile, What was it like to sit with him for 20 minutes in silence, realizing that the first 10, you were super awkward, and then all of a sudden, the awkwardness was gone. And I do think, you know, what made Eugene, Eugene, go back to your first question, was really like who he was in his interior core. It wasn't what he wrote. Think what he wrote was more of an expression of what he was in the interior core and so i hope that when people read the book that they will have met eugene and in meeting eugene they will recognize maybe in their own language they encountered someone who was at once holy and human mm. and that those two things are intended to go together and it's only to our great detriment that we have pulled them apart. But in the story of Eugene, we have one example of someone who was having that great fissure slowly healed by um, the trying God and, and that maybe there's no real words, but it's more a sense of people like can sigh deeply and go, ah, I have a picture of that.
1: Mm, mm. Mm, that's great. Well, when it's always great to be with you and thanks for taking some time, not only to be on, uh, with us to talk about the book, thanks for your investment over the last handful of years of writing this really important book. And, uh, we've had a chance to, to, to read it before it's come out and we just are so encouraged by it. So thank you for your willingness to do that. And thanks for what you're doing uh, by stewarding that at the Eugene Peterson Center there at in west at western seminary there in holland michigan and uh really grateful for you your academic writing and pastoral side coming sides coming together in this calling very much like eugene so thanks for being with us we really appreciate it
2: well thank you for um inviting me and really good to talk with you and i know that y'all love eugene too so we just can all have this good conversation together mm-hmm.
1: It was so good to connect with Wynn again. I'm so grateful for him and uh, the church that he started in Charlottesville, All Souls Church and Ecclesia Church. Um, but now he's in a different role and, uh, and it's good to see him in this different role. We miss him in terms of being a part of the Ecclesia Network, but man, I'm just so thrilled that he got a chance to write this and then share this with us. I am so thrilled that this book is out. Uh, I'm curious for you what, did you, what did
0: you learn? What did you notice? What did you hear from, you, from, uh, from Wynn about Eugene? oh my goodness well it it what an honor to to sit with someone who had the privilege of reading through his journals and just having such a a deep intimate understanding. So I would say that the couple things uh, first is just that um I, I really appreciated when when the question was asked, you know what what was it what surprised you in your research? He's like nothing. And I think that was just a beautiful expression of character, you know, what it Mm. looks like to be the person who, who, who we think you are. Um, so that, that was one. Um, and then I think just the different part was, or the other part that was so encouraging to me was how Eugene responded with to failure, how he didn't beat himself up. And that really felt like such an important, um, it felt, there was a a deep resonance in my soul to that as one who was very good at beating himself up over failure. Uh, just was, I felt like that was a really beautiful permission to be kind to myself in Mm -hmm. some of these spaces and see the work of God at hand, even there. How Mm -hmm. about you, JR?
1: Some of the lines that Wynn used really sticks out to me. You know, that Eugene said, I'm so glad I get to be Eugene. Yeah. Not out of arrogance, just, Out of a settledness of knowing who he was, and even that uh, that prayer, God make me the man people think I am, Mm. Uh, and even God make me a saint. You know, I I got this from a friend of mine named Daniel Grothy, who's a pastor in Colorado Springs. But he used to call him Saint Huge, the Huge. (laughs) (laughs) So God make me a saint. Well, Saint Huge, the Huge. So (laughs) I I guess he's become a saint, at least in our in our minds. So. yeah, fascinating. Even the story about uh, in the car about reading from Greek to English, uh, or, or reading the Greek out loud. It reminds me when I was with him out in Montana. Um, he had the Greek point a Greek New Testament out in front of him, and he was reading a passage to me. He was reading it faster from Greek to English aloud than I can read it from English to English aloud. Uh, that's how well he knew his Greek New Testament. So when some people say, "Oh, the message, oh, it's so wishy washy," are you kidding me? <laughs> That dude got his PhD in uh, ancient languages, ancient biblical languages. So he knew what he was doing. But that story, I can just see that uh, little smirk and smile on Eugene's face when he starts reading in uh, point a Greek to his family. So, um, But uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that sticks out to me is Eugene was such a shepherd. I, I remember in one of my seminary classes, somebody saying, if you're going to be a shepherd, you better smell like the sheep. And Eugene is somebody who didn't, even though he's known for his study in terms of writing and thinking deeply, he smelled like his sheep because he was a good shepherd. And uh, I'm really glad he had that stench of sheep on him because you can't be a good shepherd if you aren't close to your sheep. Yeah. And uh, even that line that, uh, you know, talking about what made Eugene, Eugene, when when said, I think I heard six things that he said in there that, he craved God, number one. Number two, that he was fully present. But he also said theology starts with geography. That, yes. Right? And uh, But I also appreciate it. And I was nodding my head furiously when he said this, but the ordinariness of Eugene and how he really focused on the ordinary. And he used ordinary a lot when he translated the message. When I mean, I'm thinking of some ordinary wording passages, you know. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your eating, sleeping, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. So the ordinariness uh, there, but also, um, he said, don't write for the world until you've lived it in your neighborhood. Uh, what a great line. There's back to theology, Good. starting with geography. Uh, and then also how plain spoken and everyday he was. Maybe that's more on the the ordinariness. So, I just really appreciated that. And and again, I'm so glad Wynn is writing this. He's just a person of great words yeah. following a man of great words. So, yeah.
0: I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think t- two other things come to mind is there's just so much in here, but the, the, the holiness and humanness, like he was a, a, a holy human. And I just was, man, I feel like there's something so encouraging about recognizing how those two things come together, not are completely separate things. And then I, I was thinking about um, just as he was talking, um, I've gotten to know David Hansen quite well since we interviewed him, uh, you know, a little over a year ago. And, you know, my one of my other top one of my, my other top favorite pastoral book other than Eugene's books um, are is uh, The Art of Pastoring. And David David
1: wrote, Eugene wrote the uh, a right. great endorsement saying it was the best pastoral yeah. book that's ever been written.
0: <laughs> but I think like, I, I love the story behind it because, you know, I remember David just sharing with me, he said, you know, um, I, 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 I wasn't a writer and I, I got to meet Eugene, a friend of mine connected us. I drove up, he was only at a couple hours away and, and then he, he just started to encourage my writing and he said, I was a terrible writer. And he, he just started to encourage my writing and encourage who I was. And so I just love that image of, and even, and Wynn kind of mentioned that too, like you know Eugene gave win confidence and it's like and here's this beautiful book by David Hansen that I I still give to new pastors and I still read on a yearly basis that it's like his encouragement made uh made people confident in what God was doing in their lives and that they had a voice to share and man if that's not a legacy I don't know what is I just I don't know what is yeah that's really good and one of the things that was
1: uh, you know, we talked about guides versus celebrities. That really stuck out to me as well. You know, we just don't have many guides out there like Eugene. So um, yeah, Doug, we want to we want to leave some uh, resources and some questions for our listeners. So what are some resources? Obviously, the, there's one that's obvious, but yes. tell us what are some of those resources?
0: Uh, definitely, if if you haven't already picked it up, uh, order Burning in My Bones, uh, the official biography from Wynn Collier. We'll have it in the show notes. I'll link to there, so please, please pick it up and check it out. And then, even for those of you uh, who are thinking, "Man, I'd, I'd love to kind of dive into some, into some, some, some of Eugene's works," uh, I think both Jay and I were talking, Jr. and I were talking about this as soon as we were done the, the done the interview. It was just we'd love for you to read "Working the Angles." Um, if you're a pastor and you haven't read it, you should buy it and read it. Uh, if you have read it, you should pick it up and read it again. Yeah. Um, and, and even a long obedience in the same direction, but there's just so, so many. And I loved, I loved Win's uh, recommendation of, you know what, head out to your local bookstore and just read the jackets of a few of them and see which one sticks out to you. So we'll have a few recommendations in the show notes, but yes, please, please, please check out some Eugene stuff. Jared, what are some questions that are burning in you?
1: Yeah. Three of them come to mind. I mean, Wynn said that we can relax. Eugene would say that we can relax and be human and just trust that God is at work in the world. And uh, so, the question that I'm thinking through if we trusted God that he is at work in the world and we can be human, what would a relaxed you as a pastor look like? That's number one. Number two, he also said that Eugene's ego died a slow death by the love of Christ. I mean, what a line. So, what does it look like for us to experience? experience a slow death of the ego by the love of Christ. If the love of Christ overwhelmed us, how would that help to kill our ego in appropriate ways? And then lastly, uh, Wynn said that uh, Eugene mentioned that the most important question a pastor could be asked by other people is how do I pray? And so this is kind of part A and part B. Part A, how do you pray, pastor? And then number two, how would you answer that question to someone who would ask you, How do I pray? So Doug, send us out here uh, with a closing word.
0: Yeah. So brothers and sisters, my beautiful, ordinary, holy human friends, um, may God meet you in the 10,000 places that you play. May you recognize that you are in the way of Jesus. And as you continue to move in the way of Jesus, may you continually find yourself falling more and more in love with Christ. May your egos die slow deaths and at the glory of the Lord. And may you see his fullness and his kingdom coming. And as you go, may you be reminded of the beauty that you have been, the the beautifully ordinary life that you have been called to live out faithfully in front of God with the people that God has gifted in your flock. Amen.